Hello and welcome to the FIEC podcast where you'll hear teaching and resources for church leaders to help independent churches work together to reach Britain for Christ. This episode is a special Leadership in Lockdown webinar which explores the Scottish Government's guidance for places of worship in Scotland to reopen after lockdown. Andy Hunter, FIEC's Scotland and North of England Director, was joined by David Nixon, pastor at Carubba's Christian Centre, to discuss the guidance and other church leaders in Scotland shared their approaches and experiences to reopening. But before we come to uh, David and the kind of guidance, I just wanted to draw a couple of Bible verses to our attention uh, as we start and as we pray. So maybe, Justin, you could put those up for me. And there are two verses from the book of James, one from chapter 1 and one or a couple from chapter Three. Let me just read these uh, verses to you. James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. Well, we're all feeling the need uh, for wisdom, aren't we? That's the reason why we're all on the call this lunchtime, uh, because as tiring as lockdown was, at least it was fairly clear cut. It was stop meeting, stay at home and do it all online. But the lifting of restrictions and the possible return now to having physical services again now throws up a whole new set of questions and complexities for us. Uh, questions of when should we start meeting again immediately or should we wait a while? Who should be meeting again? Are we looking at multiple services or hybrid services? How? What will our services look like? What can and what can't we do? All of which of course creates its own pressures and anxieties and indeed potential conflicts and doubtless many of us are being bombarded even now by different opinions There'll be the uber-cautious, and there'll be those who are straining at the leash. Uh, And as people in ministry, church leaders and pastors and others who occupy that tiny space where all the circles of the ministry Venn diagram overlap, uh, we need huge wisdom, don't we? Uh, That's quite a pressurized place to be, because we neither want to be timid or reckless. We want to worship God while loving our neighbours and respecting the civic authorities. We want to make good decisions. We want to get this right. So wisdom is especially needed. And scripture, of course, calls us to seek God's wisdom in all of life. And James gives us that great promise in chapter one of being granted wisdom by a generous God if we ask it, which, of course, is a great promise. But I guess the follow-up question to that that certainly comes to my mind is, well, how will I know when I've received that wisdom? After all, what if another Christian disagrees with me? How can I be sure that my viewpoint isn't just my own sin-biased thinking? How can I distinguish God's wisdom from my many self-generated speculations and finite ideas? And all of that, of course, can leave us feeling doubly insecure and angst-ridden. But thankfully, James, having told us to ask for wisdom, doesn't just leave us there. 
but he gives us in chapter three a little test card, I suppose, for assessing wisdom, the verse that we read there on the screen. Uh, that is that godly wisdom will have certain characteristics. First of all, he says it's pure, so God's wisdom is always moral, so it will never lead to sinful behavior or compromise. So anything that comes by way of wisdom that leads us in that direction, we can dismiss as not being God's wisdom. But also God's wisdom is characterized as peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Which means any approaches or suggestions or plans that create unnecessary conflict and division, that steamrollers over other people, that promotes self-preference, whether that's self-promotion or self-protection, that are harsh, impede ministry godliness, or are based just on keeping certain people happy at the expense of others, are not solutions that have the hallmarks of divine wisdom. So as we pray, and we will pray later in groups for wisdom, we need to do that with sincerity. Uh, that is with open hearts and minds, uh, ready to be confirmed, but also to be corrected and to assess those plans, that wisdom by its Christ-likeness. And then if we do that, if we do those things, we can have at least that confidence of getting on and implementing whatever decisions we do make with a clear sky between ourselves and God. Let's pray and I'll pass over to David. Father God, thank you that your word is sufficient for all of life, for every situation. Thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet uh, that guides us, that we can follow. Uh, and Father, thank you for the people of God and that collective wisdom that as we pray together, as we seek your face, the spirit uh, guides that wisdom is given uh, by that generous uh, spirit uh, promised in James chapter one. Uh, so bless our time together. Uh, help uh, David now as he leads us through the guidance uh, and may this be useful and profitable for the building up of your church and for the glory of Christ we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thanks, David. Good afternoon, everyone. I've been asked to give you a whistle-stop tour of two documents this afternoon. The first is the law, the Health Protection Coronavirus Scotland Regulations 2020, updated last week. And then also the guidance, the safe um, use of places of worship guidance that was issued last Tuesday. The guidance is guidance, it is not law, but it, everything in it is strongly recommended by the government. And it is also considered best practices by church insurers. And so it would be our position here to suggest that you should be seeking to follow it and not push it and certainly not be reckless with it. The next few slides, I've got some questions, some prompts, and I'll just lead you through what is in the law and then what is in the guidance. So what does the law require, first of all? Two key sections, the two key sets of regulations you need to be aware of are section four. It tells us that physical distancing of two meters is legally required on our premises. So if you have anyone on your church premises, they have to maintain this physical distance of two meters at all times, essentially. And even if they're queuing to get into the church building, again, you must ensure that they maintain distance. Section six is then the, the, the other important regulation to be aware of, which is it tells us that you should not be meeting in public unless it is indoors with up to three households, outdoors of up to five households, and then there are two further provisions that allow you to meet for a funeral or a wedding, and that's subject to other guidance that we're going to look at 
And then if you're attending a place of worship, which is subject to a third piece of guidance, let's go on and look at the guidance now together. The guidance begins to tell us what we must do if we're going to prepare to reopen, whether this coming weekend or weeks down the road. First of all, you need to perform a risk assessment, a COVID risk assessment of your building. Um, you can go on the Health and Safety Executive website. You can see the links that Andy provided last week to the Church of Scotland and Baptist Union websites, and they've got some templates, some exam example um, risk assessments. We just got ours done the last couple of days and signed off this morning by our elders. It's important that we do this well and properly, not just as a tick box exercise, but um, thoroughly. And I think it was Phil Topham did a great um, webinar a few weeks ago on the FIC website, just talking us through what needs to be done there. You must also appoint a venue manager, someone who's going to be responsible for ensuring compliance and the execution of that risk assessment. You also must keep a record of all staff, volunteers and people who attend the place of worship after the event for up to 21 days, their name, their phone number, the date and time that they were at the, at the venue. And you must store that information in a way that is compliant with GDPR stuff. You also must um, communicate with your church congregation and tell them things, tell them what you're planning to do to be COVID um, secure. You must discourage anyone who has symptoms from attending. Um, there's an unfortunate typo here, but you should encourage anyone who is shielding to follow whatever guidance they've received from the NHS, which is changing um, all the time. And you should encourage anyone who's over 70, anyone who gets the flu vaccine, anyone who's pregnant to take additional um, precautions. So that's what you must do if you're going to prepare to reopen anytime soon. Now let's consider on the next two slides what meetings are possible, what church gatherings are possible. We well, can have weddings, up to 20 people indoors or outdoors. Um, you can't have a wedding reception afterwards in the church building. As soon as the wedding ceremony is finished, the indoor regs come into place and it's only three households allowed indoors. Funerals, it's a maximum attendance of 20 people indoors or outdoors again. At your church services, though, things change. There is now suddenly uh, the allowance for up to a maximum of 50 people to gather for a church service with physical distancing. But that's clearly a maximum of 50. If you can't fit, if you can only fit in 30 people into your building in a secure, COVID secure, physically distanced way, you're, that's your ceiling 30. Midweek Bible studies, midweek prayer meetings, they're possible. As I read the guidance, that's up to 50 people can do that. Um, if you have a community cafe, again, that can reopen, but that is subject to the guidance in the hospitality sector. And Dr. Jason Leach was saying last week that it is, it's crucial that you follow that guidance strictly in the cafe setting, the hospitality sector. Physical distancing goes down to one meter. There's no limit on the number of people who can go. And so you must very strictly follow those regulations um, or else you get caught by the um, test and protect regime. Then. Baptism services, next slide are possible. 50 people again would be allowed to be present, although you would only be able to do baptism by sprinkling. House groups, small groups outside of the church building, those are possible, but they're subject to the indoor-outdoor regs. So three households indoors, five households outdoors. When it comes to your kids' work and your teens' work, that's possible, but you've got to follow the regs for those different settings, childcare settings and um, education settings. And Andy's going to send something around later on that summarizes um, those regulations. But you need to go and look at those other things. Um, one thing that's not on the slide here, outdoor praise, outdoor praise gatherings. Since we can't sing indoors, can we go outside and sing? I'm not sure. The law is silent about it. The guidance is doesn't mention outdoors. 
But Dr. Jason Leach suggested last doors that singing is banned indoors or outdoors. That was the suggestion and what he said. So I don't know. So go and think about that some more yourselves. Look it up. Um, watch him back yourselves. Next question, next slide. What can you do in your church services themselves? Well, communion is possible once again. No common cup. Everything needs to be hygienically prepared. Ideally, bread pre-wrapped. Um, Cuts should all be covered. Um, you've got to think through how to do that. The person leading the communion service should not be speaking over the elements in any way. There should be no physical interactions um, between different households during the church service and only essential faith practices should result in you for a very limited time um, being within two meters of someone else, for example, um, to commission someone by laying on the hands. There can be no congregational singing in the church building. That's absolutely clear. Not even wearing masks. There should not be any raising of voices or shouting in the church building at all. You can have music played live in the church building. You can have your musicians on platforms, physically distanced from each other, physically distanced from the congregation. You can also have a soloist um, perform a piece and sing, but they should either be behind a plexiglass screen or should be um, turned with their back to the congregation so they're not facing them as they sing. There should be no touching of um, shared objects, so no um, pew Bibles, no offering bags, no passing around communion trays and um, cups. Um, bring your own Bible and uh, they, the, the guidance recommends online giving to cash and if you do have to do cash giving it should be in a box um, and the person who opens it and counts it all, should take all the hygiene precautions and wash their hands afterwards and stuff. You shouldn't be serving tea and coffee and food um, afterwards, that's in the guidance. Um, although if it's pre-wrapped, you wonder whether it's possible. I know some churches are thinking about that. And after the service, everyone should leave the place of worship promptly and you, the church, are responsible to make sure everyone leaves physically distanced in appropriate ways. Um, it shouldn't be that you have an hour-long church service and then two more hours of fellowship afterwards in the building that um, is strongly discouraged. The last slide is about how do we minimize or control the risk of infection. That's the purpose of a risk assessment. You can't eliminate risk, but you can seek to control it and minimize it. And it's all usual things. Face masks are not compulsory presently in Scotland. Um, but even if you were to use face masks in church, um, distancing still applies. Um, you put up signs, reminders for people to um, observe hand hygiene and respiratory hygiene. Um, you should provide hand washing facilities or at the very least hand sanitizing points and stations on the way into and out of the building. Um, Jason Leach recommended decluttering the building and, and meeting rooms of unnecessary objects. So that will make the next thing easier, which is cleaning after you have any event. And especially if you're doing multiple events in a day, you need to be thoroughly clean in between, especially any hard surfaces. And you need to be using disinfectant spray and cloths um, to do that well and properly. You might want to think about one way systems queue management, um, floor markings, if there's particular areas where there might be pinch points in your building um, on the way in and out. And you want to think about rearranging your chairs into sort of household groupings and bubbles. Um, and you just should be ensuring that um, toilets are managed, maybe one in, one out, um, and regular cleaning that way. The law and the guidance there, it, it, it defines the boundaries for us of what is possible. And that leaves us then with the question, what what within those regs is it possible for us to do for God's glory as a church at this strange time? Hopefully that'll help you. 
Thank you, David. And just to say that those slides will be available as part of the online kind of package with the recording of this uh, afterwards. Uh, they'll be put on the FIC website. Uh, there's also an article on the FIC website already, which is a kind of summary of those points that was put on uh, yesterday. Uh, David mentioned uh, regulations for youth and children's work. I have been trying to go through those in the last couple of days and extract uh, those measures and bits of guidance that I think would be applicable uh, for children and youth work and summarise those. I've actually emailed them on to a few youth work people just to get some feedback or some comments on them in case they're aware of something that I might have missed, uh, but we'll try and make those available, uh, circulating around the FIC pastors and possibly make them available online, but contact me if that would be helpful uh, to you uh, to get a copy of those, but I'm just trying to make sure that's as uh, comprehensive and as accurate as it can be at this stage, but it is a bit of a, a job going through the, the guidance if you've tried to do that yourself, it's pretty sprawling uh, really online. Well, there's a, a couple of folks here at least uh, who started services on Sunday there, the 19th of July, so the first opportunity they could and I thought it'd be good just to hear from them. Uh, is Andy Matheson there and Andrew Baldick? Maybe you could take your mics off uh, and say hello. Hi, this is Andrew Baldock from Cowelling. Yeah, and Andy Matheson, and is that David Dixon? Yeah, Dave's here as well. Up in Lockheed at uh, Dundee. So let me start with yourself, maybe up at Dundee uh, to begin with. Uh, similar questions for both of you. Uh, but what was the motivation for getting back to physical services immediately? Obviously, you took the very first opportunity. What was the, the factor and decision there as opposed to maybe waiting a while? Um, the, the main driving reason was that was the desire of the church as a whole. Um, you know, we wanted to get back to gathering and, and worshipping together as quickly as possible. Uh, we'd been, as I imagine all of us have been, kind of jumping around, looking at the regs, trying to find a loophole. Can we meet in a garden? Can we do this, that, the next thing? All of us have been trying to do various things. The other things that allowed it is we're a small church, young plant. Um, so, you know, the 50, and we've got 23 members and, you know, our kids. So it was never going to be a, an issue where we were going to break 50 and have a problem there. So we knew from the start that we didn't have a we didn't have the kind of issues that some of you guys are going to have numbers wise or multi-service, et cetera. Um, so that kind of drove the, the, you know, the desire obviously. And we kind of figured, you know, we'd have the ability to do this without too many problems. We just have to mm. kind of space out our, our chairs and space out and go through the, the regs. We have our uh, risk assessment we could share on the, the chat if that's, wanted um just to show that we got one of our guys is a uh an army boy and uh, he uh, he put it all together for us in a, a very let's say regulated manner he's our uh, kind of building chief at the moment um so he's he's went through that done all the risk assessments for us um and so we have that if you want us to share that and we can let people have a look at it but yeah that was the the kind of driving experience we had a bit of a, a kind of bother in that personally on Saturday I popped a temperature I was running a fever and so I had to go get a test on Sunday morning so I wasn't there I ended up having to preach on Sunday uh, Saturday evening into a camera and share it live I, I don't have COVID I got cleared uh, on Monday morning but uh, 
just one of those, those are the kind of things you're going to have to be aware of. If one of you gets ill, what do you do? So, um, you know, we did that, screamed yep. it live. Um, mm. But it was a, an interesting one. So, so, so because of that, obviously, that was a, the fact of you not being well, you recorded the message and you played that, albeit you were physically gathered to watch it. Yeah. Andrew, identical winning, just maybe similar question, particular reason why you started. And also, I think, interested to know what the kind of experience was like, the kind of worship experience of having a service where you couldn't sing and people had to be separated and so forth. Yeah, I guess um, similar answer to Andy in terms of our meeting, just felt that it was a uh, a biblical injunction to meet together um, you know online services are, are great but that's not what we're supposed to do and uh, uh, I with others was um, um, putting I guess pressure if you like on on MSPs and MPs etc to to get the the church open because I felt it was a, a human right frankly as well as a biblical injunction so um, there was that just wanting to make use of that freedom as soon as it was given um, because I had um, been chomping at the bit, if you like, uh, legally to, to have it um, done. So there, there was that. Um, and like Andy, our folks were, were really keen to meet together. And when I've been, you know, visit, uh, partially over the phone and such like, they were very keen to meet. So there was that. Um, and then I was also... Um, wanted to, to open early um, in the event that there were people who wanted to come back to church who hadn't before and to take advantage of, of opening sooner rather than later. So, so those were the reasons for, for opening. Um, the, the actual gathering, I mean, important to say contextually that we're, you know, we're a small church. Um, I, I came on as an interim minister just under a couple of years ago um, as a revitalization project, if you like. Um, so we've gone from 13 to 25 on a Sunday. So, so again, the 50 is never going to be an issue. Um, but, and we have only my granddaughter, so that's the only child. So there's lots of issues that others will have to deal with. Frankly, we didn't, so that made it easier, um, numerically being one of them. So it, it felt strange not having music. Um, it felt strange not being able to talk to each other properly, socialise afterwards. Um, uh, we I had psalms instead of um, uh, uh, music, although I think this week I will pr play some music um, because <laughs> it had feedback that listening to me, you know, for an hour is, um, you know, it's fine listening to me preaching, but listening to me constantly is a bit much. So I'll try and break that up with some music. Um, but sermon is central to our um, service. You know, I preach for about 45, 50 minutes every, every week and, uh, and so that takes up the bulk of our time every time. Um, um, I think preaching, you have to preach to, you know, people are spread out. So you have to make sure that you're looking at everybody in a way that certainly in our context, I wouldn't have to do normally. Um, yeah, so, so, so like the first minister and others, of John, Jason Leeson was saying, if it, if it feels normal, then there's something wrong. So it didn't feel normal. So in that sense, I guess we must have been doing something right because it didn't feel normal. That being said, it was wonderful to see each other and be together. And I'd rather do it as we are doing it than, than, than Zoom, etc. as helpful as that being. Um, but otherwise, you know, it, there's nothing I 
nothing I need yeah. to do next week differently that I did on Sunday. I think it, it went as well as it could. You know, the, all okay. the information we'd had before was very helpful and um, put that into practice straight away. So, yeah, thank you. No, thanks, Andrew. Just that kind of final point, maybe to Andy and David up at Dundee. Was there anything that surprised you? Is there anything that obviously on week one you thought, no, we'll have to do that differently next week? Um, we had our elders meeting this morning. We were saying, Dave's saying, we need to be better at clearing the building afterwards. Clearing? We have that. Yeah. We've not hung out well a lot. Uh, and so, you know, guys are wanting to see each other, and it's that. Just stand um, and talk. Uh, we need to be kind of more active in, in clearing the room uh, afterwards, which is not great, but is you know is what it is. Lesson learned there. Um, kids, uh, yeah, yeah. Are we've got a lot of kids, so just exactly how we were handling their running aboutness. Um, it's also a thing to be a wee bit clearer on, but having seen these regs again, and we're quite comfortable, we're okay with the children kind of interacting with each other and even interacting with other families, so we seem good there. Um, this week we're going to you know, take communion together for the first time, so we've ordered a lot of disposable pots and, and cups. We're going to set it up individually and, you know, then set it up for disposal, so that'll be interesting how, how that goes. That'll be another... Uh, lesson uh, we'll learn but yeah those would be the kind of obvious things for now okay that's really helpful it might be a good chance just to see if there's some questions at this stage i know that obviously both of those situations it's a kind of smaller congregation so you can kind of accommodate most of your people uh, within your existing premises mm -hmm. for many uh, churches here that's not going to be the case they're going to have to have some kind of way of allocating spaces uh, for people. Uh, it may be good to get some feedback in that. So I might come to a kind of a, a Paul Reese or a Christian Hofstra or a Colin Adams at some point and ask if you've thought about that at all, uh, how that might work. But Phil Topham, are there any particular questions that have come through at this stage that we could perhaps Sure. Uh, yeah, just on the back of, of, of what's been said, there's one or two that would be good to get the guys' thoughts on. Um, what kind of booking system have you used? How have you been taking people's details? Practically, how have you done that? I know both up in Dundee and at Cowinning that you're smaller churches, but how have you gone about doing that? Any advice you could give to churches about um, booking systems you've used to serve, test and trace? What kind of things have you, have you gone with? Um, for us, um, it didn't, there's no need to book because plenty of space in the church um, for whoever turns up. Um, and I simply, um, because I, I know everybody, I have everybody's contact details already, um, I simply used a note on my iPhone and wrote down everybody that's coming and I will keep it for three weeks and then dispose of it as per GDPR um, after that time. Um, so again, it's contextual, it's easier because um, it's not a big church, you know everybody, you have everybody's details and, and so, but obviously, um, yeah, if anybody was new, um, then I would take their full details. But otherwise, I just noted who was there um, because I have their details for um, test and trace if need be. David, were you going to say something there? Just Yeah, I was just going to say the same because 
we actually didn't really advertise that we were starting back, so we weren't particularly anticipating anyone coming. Mm. Um, I mean, we were, we were ready to write it down if there were, but we just had members this this way. And actually, our building is is only just big enough for us to just meet as members. Mm-hmm. So we're we're pushing the forty to forty five that we can fit with two meter distance. Mm. So that that's a struggle for us if we get any members, mm-hmm. any any visitors. Also, just noticing in terms of larger kind of churches, I mean, there's a number of larger churches, but also uh, Alan McKnight there. Uh, maybe, maybe Alan, I could ask you that question. Just come to you. Have you thought at all about uh, if things restart at Harper, uh, if that's happened or will happen, how you're going to allocate seating? To take your uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we do plan to go ahead uh, this coming Sunday morning. And the approach we're taking is to use uh, Eventbrite, really, to go to book up. So the whole church has been uh, split into growth groups for quite some time. That We've spent the past week or so trying to make sure that newer people who weren't allocated to a growth group have been now. So we've got everybody split up across 12 different groups, so about 13 each group. Uh, so we're going to go to growth group one and two in the first instance. There's about 60 people between those two groups. They'll get a link inviting them to sign up for this coming Sunday morning. We anticipate that perhaps half of those will take up that offer because others will be shielding or have family who are shielding or have other reasons why they don't want to be there. And then once we know how many we've got there, we'll then open up to the next growth group until we have roughly uh, about 40 to 45. We want to keep some additional space for random people passing by uh, because we regularly do get new people coming and we're hoping that there'll be more new people. So rather than taking it to the maximum number with our own folks who want to create a wee bit of a gap there. Uh, one problem we're facing though, which I'd be interested to hear from others on, is just the number of people who are part of the team. You know, by the time you have someone in music, someone, a number of people welcoming because you need a much more hands-on welcome process directing people to specific seats. Uh, and just the number of people we're going to need to run the thing is uh, substantial and I guess other churches will face the same thing. So just trying to make sure that, that we've actually got people there other than the team that are running the show is going to be a bit of a challenge. But essentially it will be uh, Eventbrite links to existing growth groups and then our plan is to have everyone else join a Zoom uh, group. So there might be 50 in the building, maybe 150 on Zoom and if one of the elders will introduce that Zoom meeting and then we'll live stream the service through Zoom to the other 150 uh, so that there's that same sense of a collective uh, worship experience, whether you're in the building or whether you're at home on Zoom. Thanks, Alan. That's really helpful. Um, may I, one of the questions that's going to come up, and maybe we, one that Phil already has, is transitioning if you're going to have some people back in the building but obviously many others potentially you're still going to be at home because they're shielding or you can't fit them all in at the same time moving from pre-recording services uh, to having to live stream uh, services uh, rather than obviously duplicating that so any wisdom on that anybody having to make that kind of transition or thinking about that at the moment maybe just raise your hand and we can um, there's Angus Cameron. Angus, you want to say something? Yeah, we, we started back there in Sunday past. Um, and the, the plan was we, we have been live streaming 
but we have actually changed it round because we want to encourage people to come out. And the plan was that we record the service uh, on, on Sunday morning. We record it live, but then we, we stream it, uh, load it up to YouTube, etc. on the Sunday afternoon. Now, unfortunately, we had a technical hitch and that wasn't, we weren't able to do it, but that's, that's our plan. Um, we, we think that uh, there's a danger, and we haven't seen it in our own church, but we've seen it uh, in other churches pre-lockdown, uh, where uh, some people just can't be bothered coming out on a Sunday morning, and they have access to a, a, a live stream service. Um, now, I don't think there's any great danger among our own small fellowship of that, but uh, we, we certainly we want to um, we want to have that access uh, for people. Plus, we, we also have uh, a couple of our folks that do not have access to the internet, uh, so we're still having to record the services, uh, burn this, and and take the CDs uh, to those folk as well. But we're we are actually moving from a live stream to a recorded online. Uh, sphere rather than going from recording their services uh, and posting them up on a Sunday morning to actually um, recording them and then posting them up on a Sunday afternoon. So that's, that's how we're hoping to manage it. If, if the technology all works correctly, that's how we're hoping to manage it. Thanks, Angus. That's, that's helpful. Yeah, it's some, always this interesting kind of considerations, aren't there, with all these things in terms of how it plays out. Uh, with some of the unintended consequences of things that we do. Uh, I'm going to ask maybe Colin Adams just to pick on Colin, uh, because you'll be at church, Colin, uh, my home church, obviously, Greenview, where at the moment things are pre-recorded during the week and put online. Uh, but I know the church has been thinking about investing in the kind of tech and stuff for going for live streaming in the future. Any comments on that? Yeah, it's difficult. I, I don't know how you guys are fine with purchasing equipment, but there's quite a lot involved in just selecting the right kind of stuff. It's a big, for us, it's quite a big investment of money. So uh, we've got a team of people looking into that at the moment, and we're trying to make sure that what we purchase is going to be helpful, not just for right now, but actually for our needs going into the future as well. So one of the issues we have is we're not in a position to immediately live stream. We don't have cameras in our church and so on as many of you will have. So I think that's potentially, from a practical point of view, going to slow us up in immediately uh, going online. So, yeah, that's a factor for us, as well as the fact that just we have the numbers issue. You know, we have about 150, 200 coming a Sunday normally. And the building, um, I think, will only seat probably maybe 50 or 60. Um, we've got a very narrow building. So once we space it all out, um, yeah, it's, that's going to be a big issue for us in terms of getting, um, you know, getting everyone together. We, we could potentially move to multiple services. So that would be another way of trying to get around it. I don't know if there's any guidance on that as to whether a church could meet multiple times on a Sunday and whether any other churches are considering that as an option that you would have maybe three services, say, over the same day. Thanks, Colin. Uh, David Nixon, do you want to comment on the legalities of that or otherwise? 
absolutely no problem, Colin, going for the um, multiple services. You just need to make sure that you're cleaning everything, all the hard surfaces, all your wooden um, surfaces, metal, glass, plastics, um, in between thoroughly. So you maybe want to space out those surfaces over the course of the day, one maybe in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the early evening or something like that. Um, Phil, uh, other questions? Just on the back of that one, uh, maybe you could flesh that out a bit more for us, David. Uh, how long should there be between each service? If there's a sort of aerosol risk of people speaking out and droplets in the air, I mean, if you're a large church and you want to kind of ramp up maximums of 50 in quite short order, uh, any, any sort of thoughts on that? It would be worth looking up um, what the latest um, research is on that and the gospel coalition have been putting up articles from the american side of things that has gone into that sort of level of detail of the science um let's say give yourselves an hour in between at least just to get things um cleaned and sorted um the other thing to consider is um i've seen some churches in the states that they've um, used one half of the building um like one side of the of the main sanctuary um for their first service an hour in between to clean and then they've used the other half of the of the main hall and that way that reduces the cleaning and um, they find that helpful. The key thing for the aerosols is if people are not raising their voices, um, if they're not shouting, if they're not singing, then there's going to be very little aerosol um, spread. Okay. Other questions, Phil? Just yeah, have any of the churches restarted had any implications put on them by their insurer in terms of public liability and the like it is an interesting question. Any, any things that have come from, from either Andrew in, in Kewinning or Andrew in, in Lockie? Or anybody else just raise your hand and we'll come to you if you've checked that out. Anybody checked out insurance? We just followed the, the guidelines very closely in order to be, you know, kosher. In that way, we haven't actually spoken directly to the insurance companies, but we just followed what were the guidelines, what are the expectations. So if we follow these, that's going to be okay, was our assumption. And I think it's important, I mean, David's made this point, is just to realise that all these kind of guidance come under the kind of heading of health and safety. So it's applying the guidance, you know, as you can, in order to create the maximum possible level of kind of safety. So I was talking about the youth and children's ministry stuff, going through the kind of guidance on the Scottish government website for that. It talks about, as you have to do for church services, doing a risk assessment of the potential dangers or the places where people could be at risk from any hazards, including coronavirus. And it talks about doing that generally for spaces or settings where you're having kind of activities for youth and children, uh, whether that's for fire or security, for hygiene. Uh, and then it simply says the assessment should directly address risks associated with coronavirus so that sensible measures can be put in place to control those risks for everyone. You know? So in one sense, there's just a lot of common sense in this in terms of social distancing and hygiene and being careful. You know? Because uh, the danger is you can get into sort of legalistic knots, uh, as I found on occasions, you're trying to, you know, have a kind of one-size-fits-all uh, approach. Mm -hmm. Phil, any other questions there? 
I just wondered if there's any guidance for, from anyone on alternative venues to meet in. So a couple of people have been in touch on the chat to say, look, we rent a building. There's no guidance come yet from when we might be allowed back in, even with uh, all, all the risk assessing and, and everything that goes with it. Uh, any thoughts on alternate venues, what churches like that could do in the meantime? Is there any advice or guidance from anyone on that? David, do you want to come back on that or? I think that you're unfortunately in a position where you have to wait for your venue to decide what they're doing. They're, they're, you're completely at their mercy, if you like, although we have a sovereign God, so um, that, we'll keep you praying. Um, the, the alternative venue stuff, you could be thinking about meeting in your homes, divide your church up into house groups. It's a summer, you might be able to get people outside, watch, watch your live stream or pre-recorded service together, um, outdoors um, or inside three households, five households outdoors. So you might be more creative. You're not probably going to get one space you can gather people in, but you might be able to think about how you use your many other house groups and things um, dispersed around the town or city. And in terms of alternative venues, the, the experience in England seems to be very kind of mixed. Uh, that Some public venues are opening up fairly quickly. Other churches who meet in schools, for example, have been told that they won't have any external bookings allowed until next year now, until January 2021. So it's very variable. There's no kind of one kind of universal policy uh, across all these alternative venues. Uh, but just to note, uh, Jason Leach pointed this out last week, that even if you are using a kind of school venue or a community hall, the same guidance applies. You still have to have the same measures in place in that venue for your service in terms of cleaning, hygiene, etc., taking names uh, of those who attend and so forth. Any other questions, Phil? Just yeah, this is an interesting one. So obviously, the the, the limit of fifty is 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 unique to, to Scotland, I think. So in England, that that's not not a limit in quite the same way. The questions come here: Should we be challenging that? We're not talking about ignoring the advice. That's the right thing to do is to to, to adhere to it. But but should we be challenging uh, that advice? What advice would you would you give to churches on that and church leaders especially? It's a, an interesting one. Uh, again, many of us watched the live stream with Jason Leach, the National Clinical Director, last week. Uh, that was raised with him. Uh, why this 50 limit on churches when that's not applied to kind of pubs and cinemas uh, at this stage? Uh, he was keen to say it was a temporary measure. Uh, he was emphasizing the big anxiety that government have is about indoor venues. Uh, that's the thing I think that really scares them. Uh, is indoor meetings. So I think his answer to that was it's temporary. We're just trying to see how it goes in the initial stages, but we would be expecting to kind of expand or lift that. So I guess maybe a bit of patience is needed, but that's not forever in a day, of course. Uh, but I think representations are being made uh, by churches, encouraged that Evangelical Alliance obviously have good, good access there to MSPs. Jason Leach himself, of course, is a member of Airdrie Baptist Church, so he'll be very well aware uh, of the concerns of churches and the practical implications for them. Uh, and I know a number of other groups are making that uh, case. Christian Institute are obviously representing uh, the concerns about that uh, to government and in the wider uh, field. So at the moment, I guess my kind of feeling would be just a little bit of patience, a little bit of wait and see there. Um, but I mean, clearly, if that goes on and everything else 
isn't being restricted, then that does become more of a concern to us. Yeah. Does anybody have any particular insight into that or any particular comment you want to make? Just very briefly, just put your hand up and speak. But yeah, it is something which is peculiar to Scotland at the moment, so we do need to kind of just keep an eye on that. Do you want to have some time for us to kind of just have a prayer uh, together? But uh, any other final questions there, Phil? I think it'd be good. Uh, one's just popped in, which I think would be great to sort of hear the, from the other side, as it were. So we've heard from a number of churches that have started to gather and or starting uh, this Sunday in Alan's case. Are there any churches that have made a decision not to gather yet? And they're not going to gather physically for a period and whether they want to, 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 to explain kind of why that is. And that would be a, a helpful thing. Yeah. Just raise your hand if that's you um, or, or speak. Anybody who's actually made a decision they're not going to start meeting, you know, until Paul. Well, it's not finally done yet, but we, we did um, put out a poll to the congregation uh, on Sunday afternoon through uh, Google Forms. And we asked uh, what was their appetite for physical gatherings uh, during phase three, spelling out what was required. And, um, and then we also asked the question, uh, you know, if you are keen to, to come, how would you serve? And then, you know, what's your, uh, would you prefer to wait till phase four? Well, we've, we've maybe had a third of the congregation reply at the moment. And interestingly, about 83% of those are saying that they would rather wait till phase four. So we as elders uh, are getting a good steer from the congregation. There might be some who are really eager to jump into it. But actually, the, the great majority are, are saying, actually, we're enjoying online services. Let's make the most of small groups and let's wait and see how things develop. Okay. Thanks. Anyone else want to comment on that before we... With the prayer groups. Mark Nelson, you've got your hand up there. Yeah, um, I think for us, well, there's one major factor actually in that um, the, the church decisions are very heavily run by myself and predominantly one other elder, although we do have another, and that's since he's going on holiday for two weeks. Uh, so that was just before, just after the, the legislation went out. So we just did not have the time to sit down and go through it all and practically work it out. Uh, and we, we have spaced out the seats and we know we're gonna be eight seats short in the hall. Uh, so there, there's a lot of question marks and, and just to, to go ahead just now wouldn't, for us wouldn't be right. Um, and, and one of the things I'm keen to do is to do from something like this, glean from other churches. Uh, and I know I'm, I come from a UF background. I know they've made the decision to wait till phase four. I think Church of Scotland might be the same. Um, and I just kind of think, with all the on, there's a lot of localised issues going on just now. And the last thing I would want is for us to go really hard at implementing all these changes for two weeks later, the government to implement another lockdown or a local lockdown to happen. I mean, we've had an outbreak just not too far from here, as you've probably seen in the news. Uh, so I'm just very, very aware of doing things just too quickly. Um, and it's just, it's the old line, just because they say we can doesn't mean they say we have to. Um, and hmm. it's, a, it's a wrestle in the mind because it is tempting to go with the spiritual aspect and think God wants us to be together in person, worshipping. Um, and I want to do that. But there's that wrestle on the other hand that you just think, well, 
you know what, maybe coming back to church might be more of a hindrance by the time we implement all these um, all these guidelines. And, and certainly we've got a small leadership, a small building. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be an easy job to do. Uh, when we're yeah. talking about cameras, we also want to implement a permanent camera system down the church. We don't have internet, so we, that's another thing we need to think through um, and have permanently set up. So, yeah, lot, lots of things to do, not enough time to do it. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Well, that's a good point to go to prayer because we heard kind of both sides there. And I think it is one of those considerations that because every church situation is different in terms of numbers, the size of building, the geography, leadership, resources for broadcasting stuff, etc., etc., these decisions are going to have to be made by local congregations according to their own situation and with the wisdom they have. And so I think it's just the main thing for us all is to kind of resist a sense of either competition or criticism uh, because we're going to start moving at different speeds on this uh, and whether you think people are going faster than you would or slower than you would, I think we just have to recognise that we're not in their situation. Uh, so we don't want to be competitive and try to do stuff for the sake of it, uh, but equally not to criticise those who are doing things different from us. So let's close there. Uh, great that John Stevens has joined us. John, maybe you could just uh, pray for us uh, as we okay. close. Thanks, John. Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you and praise you that it's uh, been possible for uh, churches in Scotland to open up again. Um, thank you for those who um, have been able to take advantage of that opportunity. Um, uh, pray particularly for those who don't have that option at this moment, um, maybe because they don't have a building they can meet in, or those for whom it's um, impractical. Lord, whether churches are opening or continuing simply online, please would the good news of the gospel continue to be proclaimed. May your people be encouraged and built up. Uh, may there be those who hear of Christ and are converted. So I pray particularly for my brothers and, and sisters working and ministering in Scotland, that you would be watching over them, giving them great wisdom, giving them trust and confidence in your sovereign purposes. Uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you, John. Thank you, folks. So see you again and do keep in touch. The Lord bless you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the FIC podcast. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.